so uh, thanks everyone for for being together and um, offering me this opportunity to talk. I mean, it's uh, it's a great honor to to be presenting ideas. Basically, I'm uh, I'm not going to be speaking too much about education. Uh, although basically, to me, education is pretty much everything. So um, so maybe I am speaking about education, but. Uh, but I'm not going to say that word too much. Uh, so let me just briefly say a bit what, what I thought might be helpful in this kind of talk where there's such a diverse audience. Um, so broadly, this talk is about looking at basic phenomena that are mutual to all of us and are the makings of living life as a human being, the way at least I understand it. And life is not simple. It's not simple when things are kind of normal and it gets harder when we experience times such as now. With a lockdown everywhere, fear of the unknown and rapid change and all that. So generally speaking, what I'll try to do in this talk is just walk you through some ideas that I've come up with. Some of them my own, some of them things that I developed from others. Um, just by from studying and practicing mindfulness and teaching a lot. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to say that these ideas are going to make life easy or anything of that kind, but I think some of them might make the practice more meaningful sometimes. Um, and most importantly, um, they might motivate you to practice more because uh, that's something I come across often when I teach at uh, college. I teach a lot of students to practice in my courses in academia. And many people really want to practice, but they find themselves doing something something other than that. I mean, there's, all, there's always something else to do, you know, and, uh, and although we want to do this thing that we feel that might help us, some of us don't bring ourselves to actually sit and meditate. So, so what, I, uh, what I'm going to talk about is, is the fact that we need motivations for practice, for actually going to the chair or standing or, or lying down, whichever way we practice. I mean, we need motivation to do that. And, and I'd say that we need two kinds of motivations, actually. So the first motivation is, uh, is one that, that's a framing that we have in mind about the practice and its place in our life. So every one of us has certain beliefs about life, certain worldviews. Uh, some of us have, hold religious beliefs or spiritual ones, secular ones. It, it doesn't really matter. We all have some kind of a worldview, uh, which has to do with how we think life should be lived by us, actually, and sometimes by others, too. Uh, and the question is, how does mindfulness practice fit within that worldview. Uh, and it's a good idea to think about our worldview and how mindfulness might contribute to it. So in that sense, a worldview can, uh, that fits mindfulness in it can be something very day-to-day uh, -day oriented. You know, I just want to be able to be more calm and handle myself better with others and, and such things, which is fine. Or it can be something that's, uh, that's loftier. Perhaps I have this worldview of looking at experience in a very broad philosophical way and I 
see mindfulness as contributing to that. So what I'm saying is that it's, it's good to understand why actually go and practice. And it's not all that obvious in many cases. And it's sometimes it's elusive. One day we think of it one way and another, another day we think of it in a different way. And it's good to think about that. Uh, the second motivation is a different one. I mean, because once we get ourselves to practice, it's not that easy. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, sitting and watching the breath or sitting and scan and or lying down and scanning our body, scanning sensations. Deference. I mean, this, this could be quite a, a boring task and, and we have to muster some kind of motivation. While we're practicing, so there's this first motivation which has to do with a reason in life to practice, you might say. And the second motivation is a reason to practice in this very moment within the practice itself. And kind of a motivation that invigorates and ignites the practice, awakens it and makes us curious to see what comes up in the next moment. So in this talk, basically, I'm, I'm, I want to try and help with both of these. Uh, and this applies whether you're a beginner or whether you're advanced, because to practice is not easy for anyone. Uh, at least that's my perspective. Um, so if you're a newcomer, uh, then I hope I might give you some ideas of, you know, making this practice a little more magical in a sense, uh, something to look forward to even if just a little. And if you're advanced uh, and, and practice regularly, then I might just offer some additional ideas that frame the practice in various ways that you can further explore. Uh, so you might say that what I'm doing is I'm looking at mindfulness practice itself with a beginner's mind, kind of, uh, exploring how this practice can become a way of opening up what it means to live as a human being. Uh, now, of course, we're only going to manage a little in this talk, so uh, with this amount of time. So if, you know, it becomes dense and there's too much ideas and stuff, then, you know, I hope this gets recorded indeed and you can come back to it. But in my book, you can, you can read a little bit more about that and, and you can also shoot me an email and I'll respond. So um, just beginning with, with mindfulness practice. Uh, when we speak about mindfulness, generally people kind of divide it into th three components. So there's attention, there's attitudes, and there's intention. That's a very common way of speaking about the practice. And there's a lot to say about each one of them, but very basically we practice attending to experience. It could be our breath, it could be sensations, it could be something open, attending to experience as such, but we attend to experience and we practice cultivating a certain attitude towards that experience. That is seeing that experience through some kind of an attitude. So that's part of the practice too. And we also practice an intention to do these things. But that's kind of weird because we're, we're doing them. I mean, we're attending, we're, trying to cultivate this attitude to, towards what we experience. But the problem is that we constantly forget to do that. So mindfulness, one of its meanings 
as remembering, it's a practice that breaks down time into moments. So one moment we're attending and the next we're not exactly attending and who knows where we are. So we need to practice intention, which kind of connects with motivation as well, because when our motivation is low, then our intention is low in that, in the sense that we're not that motivated to do this now. So we have to reignite ourselves and, and bring ourselves back to the practice. So I'm going to explore these a little bit, uh, kind of one by one, and, and I'll begin with attention. Uh, it's hard to say what's most important in mindfulness, but uh, because sometimes people get stuck on attention, but I'm not sure that's the most important thing. The thing is, I mean, without attention, we, we can't really experience anything. We can't know that we're experiencing anything. So I will begin there. And I'm... I'll begin with a with, with hero of mine, uh, William James, uh, a forefather of psychology. Uh, so I once read a sentence that William James wrote that kind of blew me away. Uh, he wrote, for the moment, what we attend to is reality. <clears throat> and I remember reading that sentence, stopping for a moment, rereading re it again, <clears throat> And then rereading it again and saying it to myself a few times in first person. It somewhat just put me in this very mindful and appreciative state. And, and I actually recommend to students to say that. I mean, if, if you want, you can, you know, kind of say it to yourself right now. For the moment, what I attend to is reality. And you can say it a number of times. And it has some kind of an effect on you when you just really attend to that sentence and its meaning. <clears throat> it becomes kind of a mantra. So your reality at this very moment is defined by what you attend to. And it seems to be the case that this applies to any moment in your life. Now, of course, you can get fancy and speak of your brain and body and mind and consciousness and everything, but I'm speaking about just experience. So we have that. We're each experiencing moments of reality in which this inner flashlight of attention discloses it moment by moment. Now, whatever you have in your experience <clears throat> is your reality. And let's put a magnifying glass now on this beam of attention itself and what happens in one moment like that. Because you might notice that that beam of attention, it can go wide or it can go focused. So we can experiment with that for a moment. If you want, you can close your eyes right now as, as you follow and just notice what's happening right now as that beam of attention just wanders freely. And now let's try to focus it just a little and see if you can identify your breath. And it can be anywhere in your body. Um, just try to notice 
Whereabouts are you noticing that breath? Could be your nose, maybe the chest or the abdomen. So that beam has now narrowed a bit. See if you can narrow it further within that area that you identified. Something as narrow as one centimeter, maybe even less. Now don't, don't work too hard on this. I mean, if it's too effortful, just stay with any area you can stay with that you identify your breathing with. Now let's rewiden that beam again. See if you can capture your whole body, your entire body with that beam of attention. And if you have your eyes closed, you can open them or leave them closed as you wish. Uh, we have this flashlight of attention and where, where, wherever it shines from moment to moment is our reality and it can shine wide or it can be more focused. There's more to it and we'll get to this later. And by the way, don't worry if you had trouble with focusing or widening attention. You're not alone in that. And, and that's an important reminder that I actually remind to my students and to myself many in many cases, that this is why it's called the practice. It, it makes sense to practice only those things that we do not know how to, how to do. So that reminder in and of itself goes a long way to, to, to the component of attitude that I'll, I'll later get to as well. So I'm just going to remind ourselves what, what we're trying to do here. So I'm, I'm trying to open up mindfulness practice in, in different ways uh, that will make you want to experiment with it. Because this spirit of experimentation within the practice is, is part of what motivates us. We, we need to be adventurous in some sense within our bodies, within this practice. And in terms of this flashlight of attention, I mean, you can remember this tip that whenever you get bored or you feel a little tired, try widening attention, try focusing attention, become aware of it, how you change it or how it changes on its own accord. And if you went, want to get even more fancy, you can ask yourself who's doing that or what's What's doing that? So let's go back to James, okay? So we had that, that mantra, I would say, for the moment what we attend to is reality or for the moment what I attend to is reality. Let's say, say something about that reality. So the thing is, when I think of reality and I think some people are like me in this sense, uh, we think of it as, as a space in which we live in. And when you practice mindfulness, there's a shift there. It, it becomes something that's more of an unfolding moment for moment in time. And 
we can check this out. This is a little exercise that I do with students and, and often as an introduction, an introductory practice to introduce them to mindfulness. And I actually call it mindfulness in writing because we do it in writing. And you can do this mentally or you can do it in writing. If, if you're on a computer, you can open a window and or a word processor. If you're on the cell phone, then just an app that you can write in. And in the next two minutes, um, I'm just going to ask you to imagine that you're a witness to experience. All yeah, you're responsible for is just registering what's happening. So you don't need to do anything but make a list of whatever you notice in your experience. So it might be a sound, a thought, a sensation, it doesn't matter. You, you don't need to look for anything special, just let it come to you. So we'll take a couple of minutes and we'll do that. We'll just make a list of the stuff that we're noticing from moment to moment. Okay, let's start right now. So keep going, just noticing from moment to moment what's there. Okay. So what, what we just did here is a form of mindfulness practice. And if you were writing, then you were just doing it in writing, but it's called open awareness or choiceless awareness sometimes. We attended to our experience as uninvolved witnesses and allowed it simply to unfold. Now, we can bet that our lists are different. It's, and it's not just because we're sitting in different rooms and hearing different sounds and we're in different countries right now. Even, even if we had sat in the same room, our attention would probably be directed to different stimuli. And that's because attention is a selective process. So for the moment, what I attend to is reality, but my reality is probably different than yours. So what I'm saying basically about reality is that it's not just attention that selects something from reality. It's not just attention that's a selective process. Reality is a selective process. And just as a side remark, I'll just throw something to consider here. I mean, if, if we bring this to bear on disagreements between people, <clears throat> 
even at this very basic level of our selective attention, you know, our minds simply draw information from experience in very different ways. We draw conclusions, form opinions and worldview based on different data. And I'll leave this for you to further develop this idea. But uh, generally, what I'm saying is, uh, is that every moment of mindfulness practice holds seeds of these various ideas about life. And this begins with attention that collects these moments of reality. So when we practice like this, when we practice open awareness, I mean, this whole idea of what reality is, it actually shifts. It's, it's not just this big space that we live in, it's actually an experience that unfolds from one moment to the next. It unfolds as we live it in the only time in which we can actually attend to something, which is the present. Now, the thing is, sometimes people get a little romantic about the present, and I don't tend to do that. I mean, the present can be very unpleasant. So when people sometimes tell us not to worry about it and not to worry about it and be here now and all that stuff, you know, it actually can become quite annoying because right now in the present, we feel quite bad. So what I am saying, however, is that when you practice mindfulness, then you engage reality in a very different way and the present feels a little different. And for beginners, this actually takes getting used to. Sometimes for some people, this, this new kind of relationship with, with time and with, with the body and, and with experience is something that, that, that needs to be uh, helped. So <clears throat> best thing to do in these cases, for me at least, is, is to ask people to, to practice with open eyes and not with closed eyes, that, that could help it. And, and writing actually also processes this uh, better. Um, and I wanna move with this to something that, that's hinted here already, which has to do with the attitude of that witness that, that doesn't try to change things, but just lets things come to it. So, Attitude to me is probably the most mysterious aspect of practicing mindfulness. I mean, many words are connected with attitude, uh, and if you're versed in them, then you, you've heard of non-judgmentalism and beginner's mind and non-attachment and non-striving and, and various names. And, and, and I wanted to mystify that a little bit. I mean, see, because mindfulness practice is not merely a practice of attention. Uh, it's, it's not just about what you see. It's about how you see it, and even better said, I think, is through what are you seeing it? And I'll explain this by offering another metaphor, or in fact, an allegory. Um, it'll serve as a scaffold for, for practicing open awareness in a moment again. And, and this came to mind at some point when I was writing uh, the, my book, so I'm actually going to read it from, from the book. And it goes like this. It definitely follows James in, in, in attention. Um, let's consider life as a concatenation of discrete moments of experience. Such moments are unimagined, unimaginably rich in content, background noise, a thought, a word uttered, a fleeting sensation. Let us think of every content possibility as a bead. 
Hence, every discrete moment of experience offers numerous such beads. Right now in your reality, there are various possibilities for your attention to select. So just as a child stands against the splendor of a box filled with beads, so does our mind stand against the richness of experience and selects from its contents moment by moment. The necklace formed in this process is your life as it unfolds through the act of threading. So what I am saying right now applies both to practice and applies to daily life. I mean, both are experienced moment by moment through attention. And basically our life is formed through a series of these beads, threads by the needle of attention to make the necklace of our experiences. The thing is, there's a very big difference between the attitude we cultivate during mindfulness practice compared to the attitude that we carry during our daily lives. When we practice open awareness as we did before, and we'll do again in a moment, we're not doing the actual threading or we're practicing not doing it. I mean, it kind of happens on its own accord. The beads just come and they're thread. We allow attention to select the beads as it pleases and we just follow. But in daily life, we don't function that way. I mean, we try to direct attention in accordance with our aims, with our goals, big or small. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we need to renounce this daily mode of being at all. I mean, we all have intentions, wishes, and we want to experience self-fulfillment in our lives but by doing things and pursuing goals. So that's not a problem at all. It's, it's part of being human, a whole human. Our problems begin when we get caught in this mode, trying to achieve those, those aims arrive at places, manage to do all the things we think we need that need doing, and we run into difficulties. We run into personal difficulties, social, global, just like we're all experiencing at this period in history. And this reminds us that we have quite minimal control over our external world. I mean, we try to do things and it doesn't always go, go our way. So, when we face adversity, we realize that we have less control over things, and less than we tend to believe. It's then that we might be called to explore an attitude that is the opposite of the one we normally carry. So we're looking for an attitude in which we let things be what they are without our trying to change them in accordance with our wishes. So during practice, we shift from trying to control external conditions to trying to come to terms with them by working with ourselves. So we're not trying to control the world out there. We're trying to work with ourselves. And I'm, I'm kind of hesitant in saying we're not trying to control ourselves, really. It's, it's not exactly control. It's something more subtle than that. So before I say something additional about attitude, I want to actually practice again, open awareness, if you will. Um, and now just try to practice this 
is having in mind this idea of beads. So there's a sound, a bead is thread on your necklace. And then there's a thought and another bead is thread. And then there might be a bodily sensation and another bead is thread. So if you wish, you can open or close your eyes and just notice those beads as your attention collects them. So you're not intentionally threading. The beads are just thread. And you're just there, letting it happen. And if you just let it happen, and you're not involved in creating new beads and looking for certain beads, then that's part of that attitude of being non-judgmental, non-attached, non-striving. So you, if your eyes are closed, you can come back or keep them closed and we'll continue to move on. There's one more idea I'm going to try out here. Uh, and of course, I don't know how you experienced this, whether the beads work for you or not, but just remember these are all ideas. I mean, these are just ideas to motivate practice and if they work, that's good. If they're not, then you look for something else. So before I, I, I offer the, the final uh, metaphor here, uh, let's recap for a moment. So we had that idea for the moment what I attend to is reality. We had a flashlight with a beam that can be wide or focused. And we have this allegory that likens experience to threading beads. And we also have this attitude of being less attached to what happens just watching experience unfold. And as a final metaphor, I, I want to take attitude and intention and both fall within what I call a state of mind. And the state of mind is also kind of a mysterious thing. Uh, it's a complex thing, which you are only partially aware of, uh, but you're always in some kind of state of mind and it's constantly in flux and it defines your general approach to anything you experience. That's how I see it at least. And my metaphor for states of mind is the kaleidoscope. It's a kaleidoscope through which we all attend to experience. I mean, you know that that children toy that you hold and look through and when you shift its end, you see changing colors and textures. So we have this flashlight of attention <clears throat> shining at one direction or another, telling us what we to attend to, but the beam of attention runs through this kaleidoscope of our changing states of mind that define how we attend to something, through what are we seeing it, through which intentions, through which thoughts, embodied sensations. So this is that kaleidoscope, our moods, our thoughts, emotions, sensations, 
these are all kaleidoscopic settings that keep changing because of what we experience in the external world, because of what we experience from within. And this kaleidoscope metaphor basically explains why it is that we can experience this one same thing in very different ways at different times. And just as an example, I mean, if you sit before a very tasty meal, you'd experience it one way if you're very hungry or if you're stuffed, you'd experience it very differently. So the meal is kind of the same meal, but what happened, the kaleidoscope kind of shifted a little because your embodied sensations are different. This kaleidoscopic setting is affected by pretty much everything. It's all your past there, all your conditionings that bring, that, that come to this moment and it's what you've just done that shifts it. And it's also your plans for the future because if you're right now in a rush or you're patient and you have a lot of time, that will clearly affect how you're experiencing this moment. So right now, even throughout this talk, I offered all kinds of ideas to many people and the ideas are what they are, but it's your kaleidoscope that determines how you experience them. And the same applies to this coronavirus that hit us all and shifted all of our kaleidoscope settings in various ways. For some, it may have gotten that kaleidoscope set on anxiety and fear, stress, incertitude. And for others, it might be an opportunity, you know, this lockdown. Each one of us, it shifts his kaleidoscope or her kaleidoscope. And this kaleidoscope is affected constantly from within and from without. So if we listen a lot to the news about this coronavirus, then anxiety kicks in. Or if we think about it and ruminate about it, then that affects us from within. So what does this have to do with mindfulness? Well, mindfulness practice is a practice that teaches us to directly access this kaleidoscope within us and cultivate settings that are more beneficial to us and, and are often better for other people as well. So it's a practice in which we become attuned with how we attend to that to which we attend. And just now, this very moment, try, try to attend to how you are attending. What's the kaleidoscopic setting through which you're attending to experience right now? how what your experience what you're experiencing right now is shaped by the state of mind you're in so that's part of the exploration of mindfulness practice it's what we attend to and through what are we looking at it so i'm just going to recap very briefly here uh this whole thing i know it may have been dense i know uh, but, but I'll try to kind of wrap it. So for the moment, what I attend to is reality and my attention is like a beam of attention. Uh, excuse me, my attention is like a beam of light, okay? Or beam, or a, it's a flashlight that has this beam of light. Through this needle of attention, every moment reality unfolds as experience. 
But whatever I experience is seen through this kaleidoscope of my changing states of mind. And when we practice mindfulness, we practice having better understanding of what we attend to and how we attend to it and working with that understanding. <clears throat> 